the century-old Aunt Jemima brand will be retired. You start to think about why these brands are getting it wrong, it's because they don't have people of color that are sitting at the table. They are showing us, to us, the way they see us, not as we really are and not how we see ourselves. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome back, everyone, to the Debrief podcast here at News 4 New York. We've been focusing on our coverage of race and racism and how race and bias intersect with various aspects of society, trying to paint a fuller picture of issues that have really always been with us, but certainly surged to the top of the nation's consciousness with the killing of George Floyd and a lot of subsequent events. This week, News 4's Erica Byfield brings us a story about blacks in advertising and the concern that a lot of big advertisers are often missing the mark when it comes to presenting images of African-Americans. Let's listen to her story. Ask 12-year-old George Braithwaite and their younger brother, Tiberius, two media-savvy kids about the best thing that they've seen, and the answer is no surprise. It's never I get told. I just found it really awesome. I was just really surprised. It's basically just everything I've wanted to see in a movie in general. But press these youngsters about why the film made a mark and what they saw was deep. I loved how diverse it was. It was cool to see that they actually show real concepts of a black person or what a black person actually might act like. It was shocking because the images of black people that they see in the media, especially in advertising, are often unrecognizable. It's very disappointing to know that there's not many people that um, look like us. We're always having to look for something that we can relate to. Their mother, Karen, says the view from across the ad spectrum, digital, TV, and print, is warped. They are showing us, to us, the way they see us, not as we really are and not how we see ourselves. Turns out there's frustration within the advertising industry itself. 600 black executives convinced the blunders are directly related to the lack of blacks with decision-making authority. All of them signed on to this open letter directed at the heads of every advertising agency in the world to demand change. The individuals behind the camera are just as important as those in front of it. This letter came out because we are in a time where we're, we need to be heard. I feel people of color now Uh, We're tired of hearing you have to wait, right? We're tired of having to see advertiser brands actually continuously stumble, make these mistakes. And then we see ads like H&M where they're putting a monkey on a a young black child's T-shirt. H&M later apologized for missing the mark, as did Gucci for these lips and Dove for the black woman who turned into a white woman. The century-old Aunt Jemima brand will be retired. Then this year, the makers of Aunt Jemima finally agreed to a name change and to remove the 1889 image that they admit is based on a racial stereotype. Yeah, it's it's crazy how long they've been around. Glenn Pajarito is the founder of the Museum of Advertising in New York. He called the status quo the result of years of whites advertising to whites. Early 20th century until now, advertising has been done by primarily white men. Some of the earliest ads showed blacks as slaves or servants. This one from 1940s for Shinley's Whiskey. Two decades later, an ad for Northern Pacific Railroad depicted an African-American man in a similar way. 
It wasn't until the 1970 when ads shifted to show blacks as athlete celebrity. So we start seeing more of a rise in prominence uh, and portrayal of African-Americans in a positive light. In the mid to late 80s, advertisements appeared a bit more inclusive. Argo put out this diverse image of kids, yet the picture glossed over the country's reality of racial inequality, which thrusts us back to the industry demands of 2020. While it's more common to see interracial families and blacks cast more often, executives say it's not enough. The industry could never reach its potential without us. Um, and it's only going to be better because of us. We are still being targeted and segmented as if we were one-dimensional human beings, and we aren't. Bonnie Smith started her own agency, Studio B, to try to tackle that. Convinced that the black culture is more than hip-hop urban attitude, she says it's punk, educated, and sophisticated, too. She's worked with one of the brands, Procter & Gamble, that's gotten a lot of kudos for taking risks around race that paid off. Like the My Black is Beautiful campaign, along with the look and the talk. If we are at the table designing those campaigns, our lived, real, authentic experiences are not going to be captured. It's just, it's not possible. That insistence of being at the table led those 600 black ad executives to outline the 12 specific areas that need to change. At the very top, data. They want the companies to publicly say how many minorities work for them and at what level. We need to see how bad the problem is. And more importantly than just having a black person at the table, it's actually having someone of senior leadership that is a person of color at the table who can actually help voice and advocate for the proper ways to actually move things forward. On the Upper East Side, the Braithwaite's agree. To have real people who can actually tell you how this could work and how you can change and make it you know, better so that people don't get offended because we're, you're trying to make this more diverse, but you can't make it diverse if it's only what you perceive of this person and their culture. Until that change is reality, Karen says she's forced to reinforce to her kids that it's okay to be much more than advertisers say you are. I do see that it's changing, but I don't believe it's changed with the quite a family featured in that story and I'm happy to be joined by Erica right now. Erica, this was uh, this was quite something and a discussion that many people don't often think of when we talk about issues of race and the impact in advertising. Exactly. Um, I have to tell you, David, we spent a lot of time actually researching the story. First thing that came to our attention is that we heard that 600 black executives have kind of taken a stand in this way. So we wanted to know why and that led us down this path of exploring that. Talk to me about the research and the reporting of it, because uh, it was fascinating. You went back to some old images and shows historically how this has always been the case. Yeah, so actually here in New York, there's a Museum of Advertising. So we sought out the founder and he he walked us through um, the history of African-Americans and advertising. And it was fascinating because I asked him to pull some old images for me and I wasn't sure what he was going to come up with. But then he decided to take me essentially through the timeline that we took our viewers through, making sure that we understood that it was early on um, when they were depicted as slaves or servants perhaps and then that imagery continued into the 60s which I thought was kind of surprising right given what we know about the 1960s but it wasn't until the 1970s when African Americans were finally celebrated as athlete and celebrity and then now we see where we are now but I, I thought that was just so fascinating and we felt like we needed to include that in the story to provide more context to explain why we are where we are today and uh, the path forward. It was extraordinary that you point out that we only recently saw a company address Aunt Jemima, <laughs> which is kind of fascinating when you think of the historic uh, nature of those images and where it was rooted in. 
Yeah, he was talking about that as well. He was struck by that, uh, by Uncle Ben's rice, uh, and the other character, I don't even know his name, who's on the cream of wheat box. The fact that they're still around after so many years of complaints. But he felt like this was the moment, if there ever was a moment, where there's going to be a change. And obviously we know uh, that there will be a change. Specifically, I actually talked to that family off camera. Clearly this wasn't included in our story about their thoughts on that. And, and the mom, Karen, said something that was pretty interesting to me. She said that she didn't realize up until this uproar around race in the United States that aunt and uncle were terms that were given to black people uh, years ago as a term of endearment without having to call them Mr. or Mrs. because people didn't want to give them those terms. And so when she found that out, given all this conflict in America right now, and it made her even more upset yet happy that those items were being removed from our culture. Yeah, I think many of us are still learning as we go, even though we think we've been pretty good students of history and we know this. Talk to me about the letter size. 600 uh, people in the industry. That's a lot of people. What do they think needs to change? They think a lot needs to change. That's why they put together that 12-point plan. Number one at the top was data. They want to know who's in the industry. They want to know what roles they have because they feel like if they don't have a seat at the table, nothing's going to change. Uh, I have checked in with the founders of that organization. They're now calling themselves 600 and rising because they've had more people sign on. Well, perhaps the most eye-opening were, were the thoughts from the two children that you interviewed or were in the story, um, and you're a parent and I'm a parent. Uh, what's your takeaway from all this? Those kids were incredible. Yeah. Uh, I can only imagine what kind of discussions go on at their household for them to be 10 and 12 and have those kind of thoughts when it comes to advertising in the United States. Um, but it was encouraging to hear that they are thinking about the images that are presented to them and they're thinking about it in a thoughtful way. So I think as a parent, it gives me hope that maybe one day my children um, will be that astute, but it also shows me that they're paying attention and that we all need to know they're paying attention. They may be just 10 and 12, but they realize what's going on and they have some thoughts that could potentially move us forward. Exactly, and many more growing up and saying things need to change. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with one of the people that you featured in the story, but for your part and your aspect, Erica, thank you for bringing us this. Thank you. And we're going to continue the conversation now that we started with Erica, with someone who we saw in her piece and is certainly in the arena and in the front lines when it comes to these issues, Walter Gear, who's the executive creative director of VMLYNR. A lot of letters there, Walter, but this is a big, this is actually an ad agency that grew into a bigger ad agency over the years, right? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the organization? Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they're an incredible uh, organization, agency, essentially that is focusing primarily around experiences, right? And really kind of creating, you know, better experiences for some of our uh, brands and consumers. It's, uh, I, truth be said, I just started there about a week ago. I am like day day eight in, and it's been uh, really an, an incredible journey. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, congratulations on that. Maybe just starting there, but certainly not new to the issues that were raised in Erica's story, the issues that you've raised, the issues that some 600 uh, advertising execs have signed on to in the form of a letter. And that's essentially now as the nation faces this word, which is probably overused, Walter, but it is true, a reckoning, right, on the issues of race. This is something that the consumer may not really think of at first because they don't interact with the people who make the ads, right? They're just on the receiving end of the ads. Tell us why this is so important and the issues that you and others are trying to raise. Yeah, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Look, when we start to look at the way, you know, let's even back up further. The people that are actually you know, buying these products, right? The people that are out, majority is, it's, that are pushing the culture forward 
are black people, right? Are, are people of color. And it's, it's unfortunate in that when we are messaging to them through creative experiences or opportunities, um, sometimes brands are getting it wrong. And when we start to think about why these brands are getting it wrong, it's because they don't have people of color that are sitting at the table, right? When you stop to, to, to look around for a moment at, at, at this entire space, right? Or the people that are representing, representing the brands, these agencies, in the major holding agencies, there are around four black executive creative directors, mm-hmm. right? That is, that is kind of above an executive creative director, there's someone called the chief creative officer, right? So there are four, I'm, I make up four. And if you go and do a quick search on LinkedIn for that title, you're gonna find around 1.2 million people. And to follow up on that, Walter, uh, Erica ended her piece, just just to draw that out a little bit more, uh, some sort of comparison to 2006, where the numbers in terms of diversity in the ranks had not changed that much uh, in over 10, almost, you know, 14 years. Absolutely. And that's another problem, right? When this, when this was addressed in 2006 and the numbers came out then and the numbers that the 600 rising uh, were able to actually pull out recently, they didn't change, right? It's around like 2.3 people, 2.3% of people, I believe, I don't want to get that number wrong, right. uh, were, were black in these agencies. And that's absurd, right? So we saw a major call out in 2006. They said they were going to address it 14 years later and nothing happened. And I think with the, the difference in what we're seeing today and being stuck at home in amidst this pandemic and everyone being forced to see what's happening to our people online, um, it just changed everything. And talk a little bit, Walter, I think the children in Erica's piece really underscored it, but the impact of this and the images that are projected to consumers um, really shape how other consumers see the people in the projections and oftentimes how some people perceive themselves. That's why this is such a critical issue, right? There's so much power in an ad. Right. I mean, we have billions of dollars that are focused towards getting people to do something, getting people to buy something, getting people to engage with something or a product. Um, and yes, I mean, it's like when you go and when you go in down a, a shopping aisle 15, 10 years ago, right, to, to look for dolls for a little black girl. The only dolls that a black girl is going to see is, 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 is white Barbies. Right with right. with blue eyes and blonde hairs, and there's a they're not seeing anything that's representative of them. And today, I could say that like I'm glad that my five and a half, almost six year old daughter um, can see you know a James Bond that is a black woman mm. can see you know a, a Barbie doll that looks like her and has thick curly hair. Uh, so we see you know the, the some of the changes that are being made, but I don't think that we're seeing enough of it in like the ads that are de- delivered to us. Like our kids spend so much, especially now being home, spend so much time sitting in front of devices and their TVs and are being targeted ads for products, uh, and they end up like like we saw in the uh, in in, uh, in Erica's piece, you know, with stuff where you know a monkey is on a, on a young child's right. T-shirt, right? Black right. child's T-shirt. So. You know, it's we we need to make sure that we're having people of color that are sitting at the table who can recognize these things before brands make mistakes. Walter, what can be done to uh, start diversifying those ranks earlier? In other words, how do we now educate or reach out at younger ages to know that, hey, this is a career venue for me and a lane that I could take and make a real difference? So there's a few things, right? I mean, number one is, yes, that. I don't think that there's I don't think enough enough 
people of color that are they're younger understand even what a creative director mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. I've been in this space for 21 years and I didn't really officially know what one was until 10 years ago when the, you know, when the guy was actually taking my ideas and using it as his and I'm like, wait, I want to do what he does. So, so there's that it's, a, it's education. Right. And I spent a great amount of time speaking at high schools and speaking at colleges uh, to really kind of show people what, what, you know, opportunities that are out there. But truth be told, it doesn't matter if this young kid individual gets into an agency, you know, doing this, if they don't see people that look like them at the top, as far as senior leadership, they see no pathway for them. Right. Right. Which is why when we start to look at when this is why numbers and what the 600 rising was doing is so important. When you start to dig into retention numbers, like how quickly are people leaving? Why are they leaving? Then you're going to start to see the fact that like, great, you're hiring all these tons of people of color at the junior level, but they're leaving after a few months because they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel, you know, like they're in an environment that's welcoming. And a lot of that has to do with not seeing other people that look like them in senior leadership. Well, let me ask you this, Walter, before I let you go, uh, given the letter, given, I realize you're just new to your company, but in your greater arena, are you seeing more receptiveness to the message? What's been the reaction to the letter? Do you think companies are starting to understand this and, and frankly, white colleagues as to why this matters? Absolutely. Right. I definitely think that the, the, the people I work around and with and have been with over the past, I'll say six months, right. Since, since this has all come, come about, um, get it right. And, 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 and understand the importance of actually making sure we're actually getting the right people at the table to have the right conversations, uh, and allow brands to message appropriately. Uh, but here, my truth is we look how fast we saw, you know, the world advertising world fix things for white women when, when they had the me too movement. They were, you know, promoting people double jobs, right? Okay, you're a director. We're going to make you an SVP. You don't even need to be a VP because we're going to get this right quickly. I don't know that we're seeing movement as fast. So I see slow movement. We've seen a trickle in of, of, of incredible hires uh, at some of these agencies, uh, CEOs, uh, even myself, right? But um, we need to see more of it happen at a faster pace. Walter Gear, Executive Creative Director of VMLYNR. Congrats on the new position and also Godspeed in confronting the challenges that uh, you've outlined for all of us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and I really appreciate you having me. And we thank you for listening. We thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, David Ushery. We will check you next time on The Debrief.